Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And uh, once again, it's Groundhog Day! And I'm Jim Russ. Yeah, we're still in the bunker down here. We yeah. haven't really escaped, but it's not a bad bunker. No. But we it's, are it's a, surviving. It's a bunker with a small B. Yes. It's like it's, sm- you've chosen home confinement. Exactly. <laughs> As opposed to have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, mandatory. Mandatory, lockdown. yes. Yeah, but we still have observations from the bunker today, of oh, course. Oh, good. And Microsoft has released a new Edge browser. And get this, it's based on the same code as the Google Chrome browser. Hmm. Who, would have, who would have thought that? No I'll idea. Explain what, I'll explain what that's all about. I'm going to talk about the app of the week this, this week, Get Upside. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. I get rebates on gas that I buy. I thought this was like a gimmick, but I've gotten gas three times in the last two weeks. I now have $10 in rebates. Wow. And I... So, you, you know, I get about 20 cents a gallon. I mean, it's uh, actually, it's quite easy to do and worth it. So I thought I'll talk about it. Uh, and now the hacks are coming into the political campaigns. Uh, the Iranians are trying to hack the uh, Trump campaign. The Chinese are trying to hack the Biden campaign. And everybody's like up in arms over what's going on here. So we'll talk a little bit about disruption 2020 of the, uh, from the, um, through cybersecurity, cyber high hacking. And we'll also talk briefly about uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. This is the section that Trump wants to water down because of the censorship going on with Twitter. So I'll talk about 230, why it's good, how we, why we should keep it. And if, uh, this week I'm going to feature the, the man who started TikTok. That, that, of course, TikTok is that uh, video sharing platform for short videos that, uh, that, that, that young, young people use, actually. And, uh, he all, and it's, uh, it's owned by the parent company ByteDance. I'm going so to talk about the, the founder of ByteDance and the creator of TikTok. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got a letter from Jim in Bowie. Dear TikTok. My church has been conducting its Sunday services uh, online since mid-March using a combination of Zoom and Facebook Live. Uh, we've been very successful in maintaining our feeling of fellowship this way, but we're, and we're looking forward to gradually transitioning back. Now, I'm on the church committee that's discussing strategies to uh, ease our way back and we would like to make the church bulletin more widely available. So it, toward that end, we're wondering about ways that we could share the church bulletin electronically 
for people uh, both in person at the service as well as people online who are attending the online service. What would be effective ways for do this uh, to do this? We'd love to. I'd love to hear your suggestions, Jim in Bowie, a faithful listener. Well, Jim, that's fairly easy to do. I do the same thing with my board of trustees meeting. I've got a board meeting, and we've got lots of documents we have to share, and they've got iPhones, iPads, computers, and, and we share them all with them. The first thing you've got to remember is put the uh, document in a PDF format. If you leave it in, say, a PowerPoint format or a Word format, and you look at it, you look at it on a, a smartphone, it's not going to render as accurately, and it's not going to be a great rendition. But if it's a PDF format, it renders perfectly. So if you have a PDF format, it will look the same on, on, a, on, a, on a laptop, on a Mac, on a Windows machine, on an Android phone, or on an iPhone. So if you're creating it, your church bulletin with a uh, with some sort of document presentation, document creation software, uh, you, you, uh, you just simply can save it as a, as a PDF. And so that's, that, that's what, that's what we do. And, And all the document creation software, whether it's Microsoft or Apple, you always have the option to save as a PDF. Now, what I do for my, uh, staff, for my board, since I don't want to bother them with emails and email attachments and all of that, I upload it to Dropbox. And I created a special board Dropbox, and each time I have a, a new um, board meeting, I'll create another subdirectory within the board Dropbox subdirectory. I'll create a new one, and I'll put all the documents there. And then I share the link to the board Dropbox, and that link stays the same week in and week out, month after month. And I just am adding more board meetings to the same subdirectory. And I share that link. It's a public link, so you don't have to have a Dropbox account. You don't need a password. You just click on it, and you have it. So I would suggest that your uh, church members, you could share that link, and they could make it a favorite link in their browser, either on their smartphone or on their laptop, and they click on it, and you could place all the church bulletins in that subdirectory that you shared the link for and just put it by date, and they would just click on the uh, on on the on the bulletin the most recent bulletin and they could look at it but they'd have the advantage of being able to, being able to look at past bulletins i found this works really well even for my board members that are technology that have challenges using technology best of luck jim getting those bulletins out easily with your staff with your churchgoers we got an email from emma in pennsylvania dear tech talk I have three semesters worth of important notes stored on a USB flash drive. My friend wants to borrow the drive so he can use the notes to study for a certification exam. I cannot afford to lose these files because they can't be recreated or replaced. I'm wondering if there's a way, some way to prevent my friend from accidentally deleting a file from the drive. Emma in Pennsylvania. Well, Emma, I got some advice for you. Um, I think you need to get another secondary USB drive. But there are several ways to write protect on a USB drive. But unfortunately, none of them are easy to enact, and none of them are 100% foolproof. Therefore, a much simpler, there's a much simpler way to do this. And that would be, and more reliable, 
That would be to simply buy a second USB drive and copy all your files to it and then loan or simply give your friend that copy. And then you keep all of your files in your USB drive. Now, as I've said earlier, as I said on many, many shows previously, USB drives, these thumb drives, are not a reliable way to, to store data. They can get corrupted. So you've only got one copy of it. You don't have a backup. So I would recommend that you buy, if you're going to give them the thumb drive, that you buy two thumb drives. And they're cheap now. You can, dirt, you know, they're dirt cheap. Just buy two. Yeah. And then you can back up to the to the second thumb drive, and then you'll have a backup. So every time you save your files, you save to two thumb drives, and you'll always have a backup in case there's some corruption that happens. Uh, we got an email from Tina in Cleveland. Dear Tech Talk, you talked about watching space the SpaceX launch on NASA TV. Now, where's that available? I'd like to watch that too, Tina in Cleveland. Well, Tina, I love NASA TV. That's the television service of the of the of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. It's broadcast by satellite with simulcast over the internet. NASA TV is also available on various cables, satellite channels, and over-the-top media services around the world. The network airs a large amount of educational programming, provides live coverage of an array of manned missions including the International Space Station, robotic missions, domestic and international launches. It also provides a channel featuring continuous live footage from inside and outside the International Space Station. And that, that was set up to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the uh, station in orbit. Now, you can, you can watch this on DirecTV if you have it. It's channel 352. You could watch it on the DISH Network, channel 286. Most U.S. cable uh, uh, video services offer it. You just want to check with what, you know, just check with uh, what they provide. There's also a live stream of NASA TV on YouTube. It's on Pluto TV, channel 694. Now, it, you also have the NASA TV apps for over-the-top streaming. So I like have Apple TV, which is over-the-top streaming, and I downloaded the Apple TV, the, the NASA TV app, and that's how I watched it. Or if you have Roku, you can download the NASA TV app on Roku, and you can watch it. And I can tell you, last week when they were when we had the SpaceX launch, I watched NASA TV, and they had continuous coverage all the way there. Whereas if you go to you know the commercial channels. They would pop in and pop out. It wasn't continuous coverage, and then you had to put up with commercials. So I thought I got a much better view of the SpaceX launch, fabulous launch, and um, all on NASA TV. I must ask you. I must ask you how much. When did you tune in, and how long did you stay with it? Well, I tuned in about an hour before the launch, I think, Mm -hmm. and I and I I stayed with it uh, really. Until they got up into uh, into uh, space, and then they were going to sleep. You, you know, were I with watched, it for a while. I I was with it for a while. It was really interesting because on NASA TV, they what they would they would intersperse it with uh, engineers from SpaceX who would talk about how they created different parts of the spaceship or the or the uh, or the Crew Dragon, 
And so there was a lot of additional educational content. And then you could hear the actual communication between the uh, between Crew Dragon and uh, and uh, NASA Houston. So you could hear them talking back and forth. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was I mean, you, you hear all the back like like when they when they got into Crew Dragon, uh, you know, they like they they communicated to the astronauts. They said, now make certain to push the button and turn on the toilet before you strap your seats, before you strap yourself in. Mm-hmm. And, and then they said, well, you know, we we got to take care of all things. So you heard all the con you heard all the conversation. Uh, that was going on between the crew and NASA Houston. It was really interesting. And, and did they have the two the two moderators that were in this in this so called studio? The the woman and the and the man was that part? Yeah, of they, okay. they 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 yeah they 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 had them and and occasionally the commercial stations would go back to those two moderators, but they, you could see them all the time and they would bring in other people and interview them. And what I really liked was when they were actually docking because then I saw pictures from. Uh, the International Space Station of Crew Dragon, and I also have pictures from Crew, Crew Dragon of the International Space Station. And you could listen to all of the chatter back and forth as they were approaching it and coming to the different waste, waste, what they call waste stations, where they have to make go, no-go decisions. So it was, I mean, yeah. it was really the best way to view it. But yeah, I, I, I did spend a lot of time on it. I got a, an, an alert from uh, on my phone that it was going to happen, so I switched over, and, and one of the radio stations that I get alerts from uh, it sent you to the NASA link. So I was watching it there. I was just floored that they were able to get that booster rocket to land on the drone ship exactly in that circle. And that was one of the things that NASA said you could never do that. And, of course, you know, the uh, SpaceX it. people did it flawlessly. And, you know, after the fact, I heard something the next day that the uh, – the astronauts that are on board who'd flown the shuttle said this is totally different than the shuttle. They said this thing was huffing and puffing all the way into outer space. It was pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty interesting. Well, you see, the shuttle did not have that second stage. Right. It just the first stage took them all the way to orbit. Mm-hmm. So with this one, they had the first stage, which had the uh, the Falcon Nine that actually had nine motors. It took them up and then it released, and then the second stage only had one motor. Right. One Merlin motor, and that second stage, they said that was that was a rough ride. They said because it was, it was a much smaller craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, that was interesting. But they said the simulator in uh, when they were actually in space and weightless, the simulation was about what they expected. Interesting. That's cool. Very interesting. Yeah. So we got an email from Eric and Chantilly. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm thinking about hiring someone to install a Wi-Fi security cameras around my house. The way I understand it, they'll communicate with my PC via my router's Wi-Fi connection. I'd like to know as well whether the cameras would still work if I lose my Internet, because my Internet here goes down quite often, and sometimes it's off for up to a week. Man, that's a terrible Internet access, mm-hmm. I tell you. So, uh, so I wonder if they'd still work when the, when the Internet's down. Also, if I decide to go ahead to have them installed, uh, should I hire a security company to do it, or will just a regular handyman be able to handle the job? Well, Eric, your Wi-Fi security cameras will work just fine uh, with your local wireless network, even without an Internet connection. You'll still be able to monitor the, your cameras from a local computer or from, uh, or from your cell phone if you're on your Wi-Fi network, even if your Internet is down. Now, if your Internet is up, You'll be able to monitor your um, your your webcams with your with with a camera remotely through through the internet. 
Now, my advice would be just to go ahead and install them. I don't. I think the internet's not really an issue there because just having security cameras around the house or on the exterior discourages people from doing anything right. because they see they see those cameras. Now, I don't think you need to hire somebody to put these things in. This is really easy to do. Now, you can you can especially if you get the ones that have batteries in them. You, 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 there's really no wiring. You just you just bolt them up. And then you just have to link them to your Wi-Fi network. If you get ones that require power, then you'll have to put it near a plug uh, uh, somewhere. But uh, And so that becomes more of a problem. But these things are really easy to put up, and the instructions are quite clear. So I would say just... You know, just belly up and do it yourself. <laughs> and, and best of luck with that Wi-Fi camera. And, and be careful on the ladder. Yeah, be careful on the ladder. That's, that's what I did last week. I had uh, a leaf filter come out and, and fix all my gutters. Mm -hmm. So I did go home for that. And I'm telling you, I don't know how, they, you know, how these guys get up on a ladder to the third floor gutters. Uh, I could... I just, I really, I could not do that. I, you know, I once hung an anemometer for a weather station off the gutter of a house that I had off the second floor. And that was, that was, I was a little bit scared doing that. So much of the fact that when we left that house, I left the anemometer because I was just not interested in going back up there to take that down. That's right. I'm just, I'm not into ladder, big, tall ladder things these days. I, I don't mind a short ladder, but I'm, I'm not interested in getting on top of the house. It, it's not so much the ladder, <laughs> it's the falling off part that, that bothers yeah. me. No, that's exactly right. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I've rented a room in a private home and I'll be moving in next week. The room's already wired for cable and they have internet through Comcast Infinity, but the landlord won't let me use his Wi-Fi connection. He he has said that I'll have to sign up for an account with Comcast and get my own cable modem. Is that even possible to have two cable modems in the same house? I was under the impression you cannot. Lily in Fairfax. Huh, that's a good well, question. Li Lily, it is possible to have a second cable modem in the house. All you have to do is call Comcast, 1-800-COMCAST, tell them that you want to sign up for an Internet-only account, Tell them that the house already has an active cable subscription that you can't share with your landlord. Now, they'll give you the option of either renting a modem or buying a modem. And I'm telling you, you're better off buying the modem because you'll pay for it in the rent within, uh, within a year, but then you'll keep paying for it forever. So I'd recommend that you buy a modem. And then what you want, you can go to the Comcast site and you look up compatible equipment so it will give you a list of modems that are compatible with their standards. So make certain you get a, a modem on that list. And the modem's going to be less than 100 bucks. It's, it's not really that expensive. And then uh, when you get the modem, you're going to want to, uh, you're going to need the Mac ID. Uh, the Mac ID is the sort of the machine level address of the, uh, of the modem. And they'll register the Mac ID when they authorize its use. So when you call them up to make certain that everything's working, you want to plug your modem into the cable. You want to plug your Wi-Fi router into your modem. So you got your Wi-Fi set up and you're on Wi-Fi. Call them up. And when you, and when you call Comcast up, they'll ask you for the Mac ID of your, of your uh, modem. And they'll register that. And once they register that Mac ID, you'll be good to go. And it's, it'll work just fine. And, uh, 
you know, and I'm not going to suggest that you try to hack your landlord's uh, Wi-Fi account. Well, but. you know, it's it's an interesting that, that you bring that up because no <laughs> offense to Lily, but it's probably a wise idea if you're doing this situation where you're renting rooms in a house that you don't yeah. let people use your Wi-Fi, that you require them that they get their own situation yeah, I mean, there. Yeah, it's uh, – it, it makes sense because if they can, if the person's doing nefarious things on it, it's it's going to come down, it'll come down and be blamed on you because right. it will be tagged to their IP address. Right. It's going to it's going to turn out this cable modem will have a different IP address. The two cable modems will have different IP mm-hmm. addresses. That's that'll be what's interesting. And so, and so they'll just uh, so if 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 Lily's doing something nefarious with her modem. Uh, it's not going to get the other guy in trouble. And so. by the same token, if 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 the landlord is watching, you know, something on video and eating up bandwidth, it won't affect her service. That's exactly right. So, so there she'll is, have more trouble-free experience this way. There, there, there is a certain value to that. Yeah. Oh, we got absolutely. An e- we got an email from Helen in Rockville. Dear Doc and Jim, I was waiting to get on the subway the other day, and the person sitting beside me pulled out his iPhone— and asked Siri a question. I was shocked that Siri answered him in a with a British accent. <laughs> I thought that was great. How do I change my iPhone to speak with a British accent? Well, Helen, it's easy to do. It's easy to change it to a British accent. I mean, actually, I have a British accent on mine. Hey, Siri, what time is it? It's 9.21 m. See? It's 9.21 m. A.M. <laughs> A.M. Oh, yeah. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri, what time is it? It's 921 A.M. She doesn't say A.M. She She's says slurring M. it. Maybe maybe yeah. Siri's been into the wine this morning. You better check maybe. the liquor cabinet. I, I better check on that. So and but now here's the thing is you, you simply go to settings on your iPhone and then tap Siri and search. Now you tap language to select what language, of course, is going to be English. Then you tap the Siri voice. And you got a whole list of accents, including American, British, or Australian. Now, I pick British. Now, you can also select male or female. You don't always have to have a... Now, I would never want a man on my series. No, so, never. So I, I pick female. But some women would prefer to have a man talk to them. So mm-hmm. so they so they pick man. So, so, Helen, maybe you could get a British guy talking to you. I don't know. But uh, best of luck with... With configuring your Siri, we got an email from Donna in Pittsburgh. Dear Tech Talk, I would like to save all my Facebook photos. Is there a way to transfer them to another service easily? These photos are historical record, or my historical record, and I don't want to lose them. Donna in Pittsburgh. Donna, listen, I know a lot of people that just post all their pictures to Facebook, and they figure that is their photo library, and that's just really a bad way to store photos because, you know, you've got no guarantee that uh, Facebook's going to honor their commitment and keep everything. So you really want to keep your photos separately if you can. And it turned out that Facebook has created uh, a tool that lets you do that. It was part of the data transfer project. And so this tool allows you to copy all your photos and videos to Google Photos, okay? This is the only this is the only transfer that they support now. So you need to get a Google Google account where you can store photos. And uh, really, you 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 uh, this probably would be free unless you need to have a lot of storage. 
Now, what you want to do is, what you, if you want to do this transfer, you go to this webpage, facebook.com slash DTP. DTP, that stands for Data Transfer Project. So facebook.com slash DTP. And then as soon as you get there, you'll log into your Facebook account, and then you'll choose the destination. And right now, the only destination you can choose is Google Photos. I suppose eventually they're going to add other photo services you could transfer to, but right now that's the only one. And now you can either transfer photos or videos. Now, the thing that's peculiar, they don't let you transfer both videos and photos at the same time. So you pick photos first, click the next button, and then you have to select the Google account you want. So you got to select your Google account, log into it, and then you simply, and then you have to grant permission for Facebook to transfer that. So you have to click allow, and then you simply click confirm transfer, and boom, they're, they're transferred over. And then you simply go back to the same side, and the next time pick videos, and then do the next button, and then do the Google thing and transfer all the videos. And it's uh, it's a very quick and easy way to transfer all of those videos and photos. I think this is a great feature that Facebook created. They they just recently rolled that out. Listen, we love all your emails. Yep. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Zhang Yeming. Zhang Yeming is a Chinese internet entrepreneur. He's best known as creator of TikTok, the video sharing platform that uh, that nearly teenagers use. And you mean you parents- don't use it? No, I don't. You but, know, I, you know, 
I, I think I may have to start doing some lip sync videos. That's I don't what they, think so. I, you know, a lot of do. a lot of news organizations are using TikTok, which I find to be an interesting choice. They're trying to get at the younger well, demographic. Yeah, I, that's I what know. it's all about. I know, but know? It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and I don't think the the older news newscast anchors just don't fit the mold. No, they don't. TikTok. Now, Zhang Yiming, he was born April uh, April 1983 in China's Fujian province. Now, Zhang's parents were interested in they they were somewhat out of the mold in that they didn't say you've got to become a doctor or an engineer. They pretty much encouraged him to try new things and allowed him to to decide on his own the direction of, of life that he wanted. And, and he decided at a young age, he just wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was what he was always focused on. In 2001, he enrolled in Nankai University in Tianjin, where he majored in microelectronics. But then he quickly switched to software engineering because of his interest in the internet. He graduated the university in 2005. The next year, he got his first job out of college at an online travel booking startup called Kuchin, Kuchin, K-U-X-U-N, Kuchin, and that means cool search. He was one of the first employees. I think he was employee number five, actually. Mm -hmm. Within a year, he was supervising 40 to 50 people working on the back-end technology, and a year after that, they promoted him a technical director. So he had a real ability to develop technology. In 2006, Zhang left Kuchin for Microsoft. He wanted to experience a big company, but he got there, and he was stifled by corporate rules and <laughs> politics, bureaucracy, and everything else, and he hated it. So he soon left it and went to FanFao. Now, FanFao was a microblogging website in China, which was a Twitter clone microblogging. That's a tweet, 140 characters. That's a microblog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he was, uh, and so he, he was working at FanFile there, but the company never really took off, never really competed with Twitter, and they eventually failed. So after that, in 2009, he started taking a look back at uh, Kuchin again. This was this first company that, uh, you know, this travel, this, you know, this uh, travel site company, and they were about to be uh, acquired by Expedia. But they had this one section of the company that was, that was the real estate search business. And so he said, look, why don't, I, why don't you just carve that out? I'll buy the real estate search business, and you can sell all the travel stuff to Expedia. So he carved out the real estate search business, and then he started his first company. It was a real estate search business. He called it 99 Fang. 99 Fang. Now, that translates into 99 rooms. 99 rooms. See, it was real estate, 99 rooms. Mm -hmm. So 99 Fang was his first company, and it was a real estate search portal. Now, at this time, there was the big move over to mobile. This was around that time of the big move over to mobile. And uh, so within the next six months, he launched five mobile applications, and his his uh, user count just blossomed because he had he was on he was on the uh, he was on the cell phone. His most popular mobile app was renting a house or buying a house. He 
had one for renting a house, one for buying a house. Uh, within uh, less than a year, he had 1.5 million users and 99 FANG, which means 99 rooms, became the most popular real estate app. Now, he was also at that time looking at uh, the users in China, and they were all on the smartphones, and they were struggling to find information with the search engines. Uh, Baidu uh, was not doing very well providing good search results for them. They were putting too much advertising in it. People were just frustrated with search. So Zhang wanted to create a platform, a search platform, that that selected websites in a different way. He wanted to use artificial intelligence. And what he wanted to do, he wanted to uh, observe the kind of searches that someone uses, someone makes, watch which sites they select after they've made the search, and gradually build up data so you can figure out what kind of sites this particular user would like to use. So you basically have searches that are tailor-made to you. And that was his basic concept. So he decided that he this was a whole other venture. So he hired a professional CEO to run 99FANG. I guess he was just, you know, tired of running the real estate portal. So he turned it over to a, to a professional manager and he focused on building his new venture. That's when he founded Byte Dance. That was in 2012. Byte Dance. See, B-Y-T-E Dance. Because you see, he takes bytes of information, uses them with artificial intelligence, and makes them dance mm -hmm. and gives you great search results. So he has Byte Dance. So it was obviously a data-driven company. So he started in a four-bedroom apartment there in 212 in Beijing. And he went out. He tried to get some venture capital money from, uh, from Silicon Valley, from Sequoia and the big guys there. And they said, come on. There's no way you're going to compete with Tencent or Baidu. You, you know, you, another search company, you're, the space is too crowded. You're not going to be able to do anything. He, he couldn't get any money from them. But finally, finally he found somebody who would, who would fund him. He, uh, he, he found a, a, a Susquehanna Investments in China, and he also found a billionaire investor in China, Yuri Milner. And they contributed uh, $5 million in Series A financing. And with that money, he launched his first news app, where he would provide a news feed based on what people wanted. And so he, then the name of it was Tutsiao, Tutsiao. And it's uh, and he was a it was an it was a basically a news feed it was launched August of 2012, and this news feed was sort of like the uh, the feed in Facebook where you get news fed to you in Facebook. Mm -hmm. But he used artificial intelligence to feed you the news that you wanted to have. So instead of having to search for stuff, uh, basically your news feed would be through artificial intelligence tailored to more and more of the things that you like. He would look at what you clicked on of the news and he could tell what you liked and he gave you more and more and more of it. And this was extremely popular because in China, people had trouble because they had this great uh, censorship in China. The Chinese government made it hard to get information. And so it was, just, it was just inconvenient to get information. And his news feed just fit a niche. Uh, within two years, 
he had 13 million users. Now, by the way, Tutsio in Chinese means headline. So that was the second company that he started. Now, after he had 13 million users, Sequoia Capital from Silicon Valley said, okay, I guess we could take a look at this guy. Looks like he knows something about what he's doing. <laughs> and they led a round of financing, and they raised $100 million for him. And they, they invested, and they brought in other investors. They put a round of $100 million. And, um, and with that, he launched Tutsio How. Now, that is a platform where people can generate content, sort of like uh, YouTube. But what he did here... You see on YouTube, uh, how you how people view your videos is that it'll be on some kind of news feed somewhere, and people will discover it because it's uh, you know it's advertised through some kind of news feed. And he used the same AI techniques to identify what videos or what content somebody would be interested in, and so they started feeding the right content to them through sort of an AI engine. So this was his whole theme was to use AI to deliver content or search results to the person to make the web easier to use. And that became extremely, extremely popular. Now, he, um, he then launched, he thought, okay, I better launch a standalone video site. So then he launched uh, Jinghua Video. Now, it's also known as Watermelon Video, but in China, it's Jinghua Video. And that ran short-form, it was a short-form video platform that hosted video clicks video clips that averaged two to five minutes long. So they were a bit longer than what the TikToks were, but the, he was sort of evolving toward that general direction. Then he launched Top Buzz, which is a content discovery platform for videos, articles, breaking news, and um, pictures outside of China. He was trying to basically uh, do uh, news feeds for no, the non-Chinese marketplace. So he he put Top Buzz, he marketed that in the United States and Brazil and Japan. In 2017, because he wanted to get into the U.S. market, he purchased a global news app called News Republic for $86 million. So that was a, a news app that had been a news feed that had been popular in the United States, but they didn't have that AI back end. So he purchased them, he put his AI back end on it, and the thing took off. It was extremely popular. Then in 2017, ByteDance acquired the Los Angeles startup Flipagram. Now, Flipagram uh, basically was an app that allows you to turn your photos or your sl into slideshows or to have short videos. It was sort of one step closer to this TikTok idea. Now, he bought Flipag Flipagram because he wanted to get into the U.S. market. He wanted to get their users, and he wanted to see what was going to happen to get into the U.S. market. Also, Flipagram had been, one of the big investors had been Sequoia. Sequoia said, look, I think that Flipagram within the ByteDance platform would be more successful, so Sequoia engineered the sale. Then he started to develop an app where users could create short lip sync videos or comedy videos or talent videos. He integrated the same AI to basically advertise them and put them on feeds for individuals. And so you could get the, get the, you know, you could get a very, you could get videos that you really like fed to you automatically. He was able to develop this app in only, um, in only 200 days. So he was really honing in on what people liked.
Now, it was called Douyin. And the, the app was first launched in China in September 2016. Within a year, it had one million users with more than one billion videos viewed each day. Now, Zhang wanted to build a global version of Douyin. So in 2017, he created TikTok, which is basically just an international version of Douyin, where you have short videos. It's a video delivery platform of short videos. TikTok is not available in China. The data stored on TikTok is stored outside of China. Now, the reason he did that is that the Chinese Communist Party censors any data that's stored in China. And he wanted to prove his independence from communist China. Uh, now, the U.S. military doesn't buy that, actually, mm -hmm. that it's really independent. They still ban its use, but it actually has just taken off in the U.S. Within two months of TikTok's launch, ByteDamp then spent another $1 billion to purchase Musical.ly. Now, this also was a, um, a video platform, and it basically just had young users in its base. So what he did, he took the TikTok engine, combined it with the Musical.ly user base, merged them together into a larger video community. It's, and TikTok still retains the core features of both apps, short form, short form videos up to 15 seconds. Now, that what was interesting, uh, and, they, and they just, after that, it just took off. But he had all these executives who were like older people. Not, none of them ever made TikToks. Yeah, right. And, you know, you know they, they, they didn't do TikToks. So what, what, one thing he did, he decided, look, we have to, we, you know, we, 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 we have to, uh, what did they say? You have, to, you have to eat what you sell. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so he basically said, look, we're all going to make TikToks. So he set up his own TikTok account. He started making lipstick TikTok videos. And he required all of his senior employees to make TikTok videos so they could see what it was like to make TikTok videos. And that process of forcing the development team to actually use the product made the product better. Now, TikTok became the third most downloaded non-game app in the world following uh, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. And then it became a cultural phenomena. The app was downloaded 1.57 billion times. Nearly half of those downloads occurred in 2019. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still in, TikTok hit 2 billion downloads and became the most installed app in the world. With this latest download during COVID-19, TikTok surpassed WhatsApp as the most downloaded app in the world. Now, here's the deal. In 2020, ByteDance is worth more than $100 billion, mm. according to recent private share transactions. And I think when I was checking up, I think that uh, Zhang owns 24% of that. So he's worth about $24 billion, wow. which is not bad no. for a guy who's just building this thing up. And he did it without any support from the big corporations within China and with no support from the Communist Party. So he did it on his own independently and did something that none of the VCs expected him to be able to do. So there you go, everything you'd want to know about Zhang Yiming, the creator of TikTok, 
and the creator of its parent company, ByteDance. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. Stand by, the pop quiz, next. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. That's your cue to start talking. Oh, sorry. Fantastic. Yeah, it is fantastic. Sorry, and I turned on the wrong uh, fader, so you're you're here now. These, the, you know, this is not just a radio show. This no. is Classroom of the Airways. Right. And, of course, we uh, are going to evaluate whether our audience has been listening with the pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms when they finally open. And we're getting close to opening, I think, within oh, good. a month. So uh, earlier in the show, I was talking about Zhang Lim Yiming. He, of course, is the creator of TikTok and its parent company, Fight Dance. Now, this is the question. The name of his first company was 99FANG. Now, what does 99FANG mean? Okay, campers, it's that time. If you know the answer to today's question, pick up your device, give us a call. Dial in from west of the Rockies, 877-936-9333. Call in from next to a pile of empty oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia. It's 877-936-9333. Tick-tocking from your four-bedroom apartment in Canada. Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's protected by sheets of plywood. 
877-936-3333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, indeed. Let's talk yes. about the app of the week now. Yeah. Get Upside. Now, I saw this app advertised, and I think this looks just a gimmick. So I decided I'm just going to try it out. So this is Get Upside partners with businesses, and it gives you cash back on everyday purchases. Now, most of the business partners seem to be gas stations. I mean, there were some grocery stores, but they were like uh, unusual grocery stores that uh, I probably wouldn't go to. And I couldn't unusual, find really. What, wait a minute. What's an unusual grocery store? Well, it, I know it might be uh, a grocery store that only you know features, say, oriental food oh okay it might be a international grocery store it wouldn't be necessarily a giant or a, you know or whole foods or something like that so um and so it was and i couldn't really find any restaurants uh there were there were some restaurants but none that were close to me but there are lots of gas stations and so it turned out that i can get about 20 percent cash back if you pick the, the right gas station now you have to be careful because you don't want to pick a gas station that has high expensive gas price. And then after 20%, you're still paying more. So I would get a gas station that would have very competitive gas price at their base price, and I would get 20%. And I was thinking, well, I don't know if this thing's really going to work. But now I've done three gas fill-ups. And uh, you go in there, and you drive into the gas station, and it, it can tell you're there with GPS. So then you claim the rebate, you and then you have an hour to get your gas. And what you do, then you just you just get your gas, buy it, and a receipt comes out, and then you take a picture of the receipt with your cell phone and upload it to the to the app. And two days later, you get the cash back. Now, in one case, I didn't even have to upload the receipt. I just told them what credit card I would be using, and as soon as the credit card transaction was done, I got uh, it uploaded that credit card transaction for me automatically. I did nothing, and I got the cash back. So now I've done. I've done three gas fill-ups, and now I've got $9.94 in, uh, in my account. Nice. And I could transfer that to Amazon and spend it on Amazon, or I could just simply ask them to send me a check. So now what I do, I just pull up my Get, What's up, get Upside, and I just check for a gas station that has a discount. So that's kind of the app of the week. I, I thought it was a gimmick, but actually it works. Why not get 20 cents a gallon? That's pretty cool. We don't have a winner yet. So, Doc, why don't you ask the question once again? Okay. Earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, Zhang Yiming. He's the creator of TikTok. Now, he started five different companies. His first company was 99Fang. It was basically dealing with uh, real estate. What does 99Fang mean? Okay. Where did if, that name come from? Okay. If you know the answer, you need to call us. 877-936-9333. Observations from the bunker. I've really started to look forward to this. Oh, yes. I love, <laughs> you know, I love sitting in the bunker. We're going to have to oil these doors a bit, though. <laughs> well, hey, well, the, it's, it's your dollar, man. <laughs> okay. Well, this week... I was thinking a lot about SpaceX because I watched their Falcon 9 rocket launch. And, uh, and Elon, Mu Elon Musk, I mean, he's like a, you know, a wild cowboy entrepreneur. He just, <laughs> he just goes for it, I'm telling you. 
Well, I watched his, an interview that he gave on CBS this morning, and um, I thought it was interesting because he shared three things that we could all learn from SpaceX and from Elon's approach to business. These are his three big operating points when he's doing a business. He says, don't be afraid of big challenges. This launch was the culmination of a dream, and it's a dream come true. In fact, Elon, Elon thought it was almost surreal. And he said if you'd ask him when he started SpaceX 18 years ago if this would happen and he actually would launch a man into space, he would have figured it would be about one-tenth of a percent chance. But he went for it anyway. Because imagine if nobody ever did the hard things. Imagine if you woke up and just decided that, well, starting a business is too hard. Or you just decided that hard things weren't worth doing then we wouldn't have progress in this world. You've got to go after the big challenges. And Elon, Elon Musk always goes after the unbelievably big challenges. I mean, who would start a car company? I mean, single-handedly. Right, yeah. It's amazing. He says, now, once you go for the big challenge, focus on what's matter, on what matters. Overcoming challenges requires relentless focus on what matters the most. When you're launching people into space, it means delivering the astronauts safely to their destination. In this case, the International Space Station. According to Musk, their safety is the only priority for this team and is really all that he can think about right now. It isn't all that different for any business. Right now, the only thing that matters is figuring how to take care of your people, your customers, your community best. If you don't get it right, nothing else matters. Then the third important point that Elon Musk shared is share the credit, but take the responsibility. Rarely does anyone accomplish, accomplish anything hard, whether it's launching a business or launching a rocket on their own. Often it's the people at the top who get the recognition, but a good leader knows how to share the credit. Like Elon said, I'm the engineer of this thing, so I'd like to say if it goes right, it goes to the credit of the SpaceX NASA team, because I'm just one member of the team. Right. But if it goes wrong, it's all my fault. So he shares the credit, but takes the blame. Now, the second part may actually be a more important leadership lesson, though it's something we don't hear often. If you want people to join your idea or your adventure, show them you're willing to be generous in sharing the credit for its success while still being accountable for its outcome. So those are the three big lessons from Elon Musk. Focus, don't be afraid of big challenges. Focus on what matters, share credit, and take responsibility. Great thoughts in our observations from the bunker. Indeed. We don't have a winner, so just continue on, Doc. We'll just, we'll just okay. finish out the, sh the show. Microsoft releases a new Edge browser. Now, it's going to be with the latest Windows update, which is rolling out now, it, uh, that you're going to get a new browser. And it's still called Microsoft Edge. But here's the amazing thing. It's based on the same code that's in Google Chrome. The new Microsoft Edge browser is based on the Chromium open source project. Chromium forms the basis of Google Chrome. So it's very, it has a very similar feel to Google Chrome. 
It includes features found in Chrome, supports Chrome browser extensions, and has the same rendering engine as Google Chrome. If a website was designed for Google Chrome and it did not work properly in the old Edge browser, it will now work perfectly in the new Edge browser. Now, like Google Chrome, the new version of Microsoft Edge will be updated every six weeks. You won't have to wait for a major Windows 10 release. Now, Microsoft released the stable version of the new Edge browser on Jan January 15, 2020. On June 3rd, they began rolling it out to all Windows 10 machines. Microsoft announced it replaces the Edge, Edge HTML rendering engine with the Chromium rendering engine in December 18th. Now, this was a shocker because people never felt that Microsoft would play nice with people. But Joe Belfiore, Microsoft's corporate vice president of Windows, explained the decision was made to create better web compatibility for our customers and less fragmentation for web developers. So they did it good for the for the for the good of the internet. So I think it's a great objective. Now Edge and Chrome are pretty similar under the hood, but they're still different. Like Edge strips out all the Google services and it replaces them with Microsoft services. Edge syncs with data from your Microsoft account rather than the Google one. And Edge also has features that Chrome doesn't have. It has a built-in tracking feature and it also has a, it has a feature that will block unwanted programs that that are not in the um, in the Google Chrome one. So listen, I think it's a great thing. Kudos to Microsoft for getting it done and getting it done right. Gotcha. Hey, we have a winner to the quiz because of the time we can't take the call. Jim from Bowie, congratulations. We'll send the prize oh. the, the prize out to you. Okay, Jim from Bowie. Oh, he sent in a letter. Yep, Jim he did. from Bowie. Very yep. good. I'm telling you, disruption 2020. They are trying to hack the Trump and Biden campaigns. I'm telling you, it is. Uh, Iran tried to hack the Gmail account used by President Trump's re-election campaign. Uh, the leader of Google's threat hunting hunting team revealed in a tweet. Meanwhile, China tried to hack former Joe Biden's account, and I'll talk more about that later. Okay. Later shows. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at Tech Talk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we'd like you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu, and tell them that you heard about those programs, our programs, on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.